This is part 5e of Heaven on Earth by Puritan Thomas Brooks, a wonderful book on assurance in the Christian faith. Now we've been looking at some things which uh, are found in that Christian faith, in that Christian life, and in fact the section we come to here is faith or things that accompany salvation, faith. So Brooks will be telling us about the outworking of faith in the Christian life. Now the second thing that I am to show you is what that faith is that accompanies salvation. I have formerly showed you that faith doth accompany salvation, but now I will show you what faith that is that doth accompany salvation, and that I shall do by divine assistance. Thus, first, that faith that that faith that accompanies salvation, that comprehends salvation, that will possess a man of salvation is known, one by the objects about which it is exercised and two, by the properties of it, the objects of faith. First, by the objects about which it is exercised. Now, the objects of faith are these. One, the person of Christ. The first object of faith, first, the person of Christ is the object of faith. It is Christ in the promises that faith deals with. The promise is but the shell, Christ is the kernel. The promise is but the casket, Christ is the jewel in it. The promise is but the field, Christ is the treasure that is hid in that field. The promise is a ring of gold, and Christ is the pearl in that ring. And upon this sparkling, shining pearl, faith delights most to look. Song of Solomon 3.4 was, It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him, and I would not let him go, until I had brought him into my mother's house, and into the chamber of her that conceived me. So Song of Solomon 7.5 The king is held in the galleries. Faith hath two hands, and with both she lays earnest and fast hold on King Jesus. Christ's beauty and glory is very taking and drawing. As soon as faith sees it, it lays hold on it. Christ is the principal object about which faith is exercised for the obtaining of righteousness and everlasting happiness, Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. And the jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Christ is in all the scriptures held forth to be the object about which faith is most conversant, and the more faith is exercised upon the person of Christ, the more it buds and blossoms, like Aaron's rod. Faith looks upon him as the express image and character of his father. Faith beholds him as the chiefest of ten thousand. Faith sees him to be the most glorious object in all the world. 2. The Righteousness of Christ The second object of faith is exercised, or faith is exercised about is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.9. I desire... To be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul would not be found in a legal righteousness, for he knew all his legal righteousness was but as filthy rags, Isaiah 64.6. All his legal righteousness sewed together would (coughs) make up a coat of patches, a beggar's coat, that is good for nothing but to be cast away. Therefore he desired to be found in the righteousness of Christ by faith. He knew that Christ's righteousness was a pure righteousness, a spotless righteousness, a matchless righteousness, 
a complete righteousness, a perfect righteousness, an absolute righteousness, a glorious righteousness. Faith loves to fix her eye upon that rich and royal robe, that blameless and spotless righteousness of Christ, wherewith the soul stands gloriously clothed before God as being all fair, as being without spot or wrinkle in divine account. Oh, it is the actings of faith upon this blessed object, this glorious righteousness of Christ, that makes a man familiar and bold with God, that makes a man active and resolute for God, that strengthens a man against temptations, that supports a man under afflictions, that makes a man long for the day of his dissolution, that makes him prefer his coffin above a prince's crown, the day of his death above the day of his birth, that makes him triumph over sin and Satan, hell and wrath. Adam's righteousness was but the righteousness of a creature, but the righteousness about which faith is exercised is the righteousness of a God. Romans 3.21 and 10.3 Adam's righteousness was a mutable righteousness, a righteousness that might be sinned away, but the righteousness that a believer's faith is exercised about is an everlasting righteousness, a righteousness that cannot be sinned away. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Proverbs um, 8.18, Daniel 9.24 Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Psalm 119, 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. The righteousness of Adam was a righteousness subject to shaking, and we know that Satan did shake all his righteousness about his ears, as I may say. But that glorious righteousness, about which faith is conversant, is an unshaken righteousness, a righteousness that cannot be shaken. Psalm 36, verse 6. The righteous is like the great mountains, or rather, as it is in the Hebrew, thy righteousness is like the mountains of God. What more stable than a mountain? And what mountain so stable as the mountain of God? The mountains cannot be shaken, no more can that glorious righteousness of Christ, about which a believer's faith is exercised. Adam's righteousness was a low righteousness, a righteousness within his own reach, and a righteousness within Satan's reach. It was not so high, but Adam could lay his hand upon it, as, I may say, it was not so high, but Satan could reach to the top of it, yea, to the overtopping of it, as we have all found by woeful experience. But that righteousness that faith is conversant about is a righteousness of such a height as not, neither Satan nor the world can reach to it. Psalm 76 verses 15, 16 and 19. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and, and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God, I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who hath done great things. O God, who is like unto thee? This glorious righteousness of Christ, about which faith is busied, is called the righteousness of faith, because faith apprehends it, and applies it, and feeds upon it, and delights in it. Romans 3.28 and Romans 4.13 For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 9.30 What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? The righteousness of Christ, about which faith is employed, is called the righteousness of faith, because faith puts this righteousness upon the soul. Faith wraps the soul up in this righteousness of Christ, and so justifieth it before God instrumentally. The actings of faith on this glorious righteousness greatly strengthen the soul. Isaiah 45 verse 24 Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. The actings of faith on this blessed righteousness greatly gladden and rejoice the soul. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he... hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. The actings of faith upon this complete righteousness of Christ render souls just and righteous, pure and holy in the account of God. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. Christ fulfills the law for believers, and they, by believing, do fulfill the law in him. And so Christ, by doing... And they, by believing in him that doth it, do fulfil the law, and so are reputed fair and spotless, complete and perfect, before the throne of God. Faith's putting, up this, faith's putting this righteousness on the soul brings down blessings upon the soul. When Jacob had put on his elder brother's garment, he carried the blessing away. The actings of faith upon this peerless righteousness of Christ bring down the blessing of peace and the blessing of joy, and the blessing of remission of sins, and, in a word, all other blessings that contribute to the making us blessed here and happy ever after. 3. The Promises of God The third object of faith, thirdly, the third object that faith is exercised about is the precious promises which are a Christian's magna carta. As every precious stone hath a peculiar virtue in it, so hath every promise. The promises are a special book. Every leaf drops myrrh and mercy, and upon these precious promises, precious faith looks and lives. And these breasts, faith sucks comfort and sweetness. Psalm 119, 49 and 50. Remember thy word, that is thy promise, unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. So in Psalm 27, verse 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hebrews eleven thirteen, These all died in faith, or according to faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them. Whereas the Greek hath it saluted them by faith, they kissed the promises and kissed Christ, Christ in the promises, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. It would be an endless thing to show you how the faith of the patriarchs, prophets, apostles and other saints have been acted and exercised upon promises of sanctification, upon promises of justification, upon promises of salvation, upon promises of glorification, upon promises of protection, upon promises of direction, upon promises of support. Look as the lamp lives upon the oil, and the child upon the breasts, so doth faith upon the promises. 
For the further advantage and comfort of your souls in eyeing the promises, let me give you these two sweet hints. First, in your looking upon the promises, mind most, eye most, spiritual promises, absolute promises such as Jeremiah 32 verses 40 and 41. Now, I'm not going to have time to read all of these, so I'm going to suggest that you pause after each um, reference and look it up. Um, Jeremiah 32 verses 40 and 41, Ezekiel 11 verses 19 and 20, 36 verses 25 to 27, Isaiah 42 verse 1, Ezekiel 20 verses 41 to 43, Psalm 91 verse 15, Isaiah 65 verse 24, Jeremiah 33 verse 3, Isaiah 32 verse 15, Ezekiel 34, verses 30 and 31, with many others of the like import. These spiritual and absolute promises are of nearest and greatest concernment to you. These carry in them most of the heart of Christ, the love of Christ, the goodwill of Christ. These are of greatest use to satisfy you and to settle you when you are wavering, to support you when you are falling, to recall you when you are wandering, to comfort you when you are fainting, and to counsel you when you are staggering. Therefore, make these your choicest and your chiefest companions, especially when it is night within your souls, when you are sensible of much sin and but a little grace, of much corruption but of little consolation, of much deadness but of little quickness, of much hardness but of little tenderness, of many fears but a little faith. The Jews under the law had more temporal promises than spiritual But we under the gospel have far more spiritual promises than temporal. Therefore sit down at this fire and be warmed. Drink of these springs and be satisfied. Taste of these delicacies and be cheered. Let the eye of faith be cast upon all the promises, but fixed upon spiritual promises, upon absolute promises. They will have the greatest influence upon the heart to holiness and to prepare it for everlasting happiness. Look not only upon some of the riches, the jewels, the pearls that be wrapped up in the promises, but enlarge and expatiate your understandings to an effectual contemplation of all those riches and treasures that God hath laid up in the promises. Cast not the eye of your faith only upon one beam of the sun, but endeavour to see all the beams of the sun. Look not upon one branch only of the tree of life, but upon every branch of that tree, Look not upon one bunch only of the grapes of Canaan, but look upon the whole land. As understanding heirs, when they come to read over their evidences and writings, they will see what they have in houses, what in goods, what in lands, what in money, what in jewels, what at home, what abroad. They will not sit down and say, well, we find in our evidences that such and such land is ours and look no further. No, no, they will look all over and take exact notice of everything They will say we have so much land and so much money and, oh, beloved, there is much marrow and fatness. There is much honey and sweetness, much grace and glory wrapped up in these in the promises. Oh, press them and distill them till you have got forth all the riches and sweetness that is in them. Ah, Christians, if you did this, God would be more honoured, the promises more prized, your graces more strengthened, your fears more abated, your hearts more warmed and engaged, and your lives more regulated, and Satan more easily and frequently vanquished. And so much for this third object about which faith is exercised. 4. The Future Glory 
fourthly, the fourth object of faith, the fourth object and last that I shall mention that faith is set and fixed upon is that glory, blessedness and life which God hath laid up for them that love him. 2 Timothy 4, 8. The things of eternity are the greatest things. They are the most excellent things. They are most excellent in their natures, in their causes, in their operations, in their effects, in their ends. And upon these faith looks and lives. Faith realizes things. It makes absent things present. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith makes absent glory present, absent riches present, absent pleasures present, absent favours present. Faith brings an invisible God and sets him before the soul. Moses by faith saw him that was invisible. Faith brings down the recompense of reward and sets it really, though spiritually, before the soul. Faith sets divine favour before the soul. It sets peace. It sets pardon of sin. It sets the righteousness of Christ. It sets the joy of heaven. It sets salvation before the soul. It makes all these things very near and obvious to the soul. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith makes invisible things visible, absent things present, things that are afar off to be very near unto the soul by convincing demonstrations, by arguments and reasons drawn from the word, as the Greek word signifies, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but are the things at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Faith trades in invisible things, in eternal things. Its eye is always upwards, like a certain fish that hath but one eye, which looks continually up to heaven. Faith enters within the veil and fixes her eye upon those glorious things of eternity that are so many that they exceed number, so great that they exceed measure, so precious that they are above all estimation. Says Faith, the spangled firmament is but the footstool of my father's house, and if the footstool, the outside, be so glorious, oh, how glorious is his throne. I think those of us here in the United Kingdom these days can't fully appreciate that because we can't really see the night sky anymore due to light pollution. But um, indeed, verily in heaven there is that life that cannot be expressed, that light that cannot be comprehended, that joy that cannot be fathomed, that sweetness that cannot be dissipated, that feast that cannot be consumed. And upon these pearls of glory I look and live, says faith. And thus I have showed you the choice and precious objects about which that faith is exercised that accompanies salvation. The properties of faith. I shall now in the next place show you the properties of that faith that accompanies salvation, and they are these that follow. First, it promotes vitality. The first property of that faith that accompanies salvation is this. It puts forth itself in vital operation. It makes a man full of life and activity for God. It will make a man diligent and venturous in the work and ways of God. Faith is a most active quality in itself, and so it makes a Christian most active. It is a doing thing, and it sets the person doing. Faith will not suffer the soul to be idle. Faith is like the virtuous woman in the last of the Proverbs, who puts her hand to every work, who would suffer none of her handmaids to be idle. Faith puts the soul upon grieving for sin, 
upon combating with sin, upon weeping over sin, upon trembling at the occasions of sin, upon resisting temptations that lead to sin, upon fighting it out to the death with sin. Zechariah 12.10 Faith puts a man upon walking with God, upon waiting on God, upon working for God, upon wrestling with God, upon bearing for God and upon parting with anything for God. Faith makes religious duties to be easy to the soul, to be delightful to the soul, to be profitable to the soul. Faith makes the soul to be serious and conscientious in doing, to be careful and faithful in doing, to be delightful and cheerful in doing, to be diligent and faithful in doing. The faith that is not a working faith is no faith. The faith is not that is not a working faith is a dead faith. The faith that is not a working faith is a deluded faith. The faith that is not a working faith is a worthless faith. The faith that is not a working faith will leave a man short of heaven and happiness in the latter day. Faith that accompanies salvation is better at doing than at thinking, at obeying than at disputing, at walking than at talking. Titus 3.8 This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Faith will make a man endeavour to be good, yea, to be best at everything he undertakes. It is not leaves but fruit, not words but works that God expects. And if we cross his expectation, we frustrate our own salvation, we further our own condemnation. Faith makes the soul much in doing, abundant in working, and that partly by persuading the soul that all its works, all its duties and services shall be owned and accepted of God, as in Isaiah 56.7. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Faith assures the soul that every prayer, every sigh, every groan, every tear is accepted, and this makes the soul pray much and sigh much and mourn much. Again, faith spreads the promises of divine assistance before the soul. Oh, says faith here, O oh, soul, is assistance suitable to the work required? <clears throat> here, O oh, soul, is assistance suitable to the work required? And this makes a man work as for life. It makes a man work and sweat and sweat and work. Again, faith, faith sets the recompense, the reward before the soul. Hebrews 11, verses 25 and 26. And I'm going to turn to that and read it. Hebrews 11, verses 25 and 26. Hebrews 11, 25 and 26 reads, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Oh, says faith, look here, soul, here is a great reward for a little work. Here is great wages for weak and imperfect services. Here is an infinite reward for a finite work. Work, yea, work hard, says faith. O oh, believing soul, for thy actions in passing pass not away. <clears throat> Every good work is as a grain of seed for eternal life. There is a resurrection of works as well as of persons, and in that day wicked men shall see that it is not a vain thing to serve God. They shall see the most doing souls to be the most shining souls, 
to be the most advanced and rewarded. Oh, the sight of this crown, of this recompense, makes souls to abound in the work of the Lord, they knowing that their labour is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Again, faith draws from Christ's fullness. It sucks virtue and strength from Christ's breasts. Faith looks upon Christ as a head and so draws from him. It looks upon Christ as a husband and so draws from him. It looks upon him as a fountain and so draws from him. It looks upon him as a sea, as an ocean of goodness and so draws from him. It looks upon him as a father, Colossians 1.19, and so draws from him. It looks upon him as a friend and so draws from him. John 1.16 And this divine power and strength sets the soul a working hard for God. It makes the soul full of motion, full of action. In a word, faith is such a working grace as sets all other graces a working. Faith hath an influence upon every grace. It is like a silver thread that runs through a chain of pearls. It puts strength and vivacity into all other virtues. Love, touched by a hand of faith, flames forth. Hope, fed at faith's table, grows strong and casts anchor within the veil. Romans fifteen thirteen. Let's look at that. Romans fifteen thirteen. Reads. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Joy, courage and zeal being smiled upon by faith are made invincible and unconquerable. Look what oil is to the wheels, what weights are to the clock, what wings are to the bird, what sails are to the ship. That faith is to all religious duties and services except be winter with the soul. And thus you see that that faith that accompanies salvation is a working faith, a lively faith, and not such a dead faith as most please and decisive and deceive themselves with forever. I'll read that again. And not such a dead faith as most please and deceive themselves with forever. So it's not a dead faith, it's a living faith, and that faith is manifested in works. Now I'm going to leave it there. I was going to read more than this, but um, we've had a lot of food in a short space of time and we should uh, perhaps um, meditate upon that and enjoy that and feast upon it in our hearts so thank the lord for that that was wonderful teaching and uh, may the lord bless that to our hearts and um, manifest it in our lives